0: Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. We are recording this on Thursday, May 27th, in the morning. That timestamp is probably important because, as is always the case here in the final week of the regular season, things change in a hurry. Conference tournaments are underway all across the country. The conferences that are not playing tournaments this year are either getting underway today or tomorrow with their weekend series. Uh, there's a, a a bid going to be handed out today on Thursday, the first bid of the week, as the Patriot League tournament wraps up in Lehigh with uh, with Army and Lehigh. So there's a lot going on around the country. We're going to try and get to it as as best we can. Uh, not following our typical preview format, just going to kind of try and talk through some NCAA tournament uh sit bubble situation field construction all the rest of that uh hit on some of the the coaching news around the country uh as the the coaching change season has continued to to kick into high gear already and we will uh get to some of the the bigger stories of the week so far from conference tournaments again around the country so a lot to get to here on today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast, which is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com nationaldatabase national database. Alright Joe, we're we're here. There's a lot going on. You're uh you're at the Missouri Valley tournament there in Carbondale. Uh an interesting interesting experience. I'm sure I'm trying to capture as much as I can. Um you know, watch, watch all all the games from all over the country. It's uh it's a wonderful time of year in the in the college baseball calendar.
1: Absolutely. It's been it's been so nice to be back at a conference tournament and kind of be back in that atmosphere and and talking about not just with you, but talking with people in the press box and the SIDs and and, and whatnot about, you know, the bubble talk and who's in and who's out and, you know, how will the committee act this year, given that it's a weird season and and all of those things. It's been really, really refreshing to be back and, you know, conference tournament week kind of gives and takes, right? I mean, on one hand, it's it's great. The, The volume of games is great. The volume of games that really matter is awesome. On the other hand, though, you know it, it, you're so beholden to things like weather and games that go super long and, and all of that, and so it is really a grind, even if you're not at a site because you're just trying to keep up with everything. So it does kind of give and take away. And, and as we approach this week every year, it's it's very easy to forget about the uh, the more taxing parts of it and, and just be excited about it, which is great. But uh, but boy, does it ever come with kind of a, a taxing end as well, just trying to not only uh, if you're if you're at a site, but also if you're just trying to keep up with everything.
0: Yeah, I feel for everyone in Ruston. Uh, yeah. Conference USA tournament last night. They had some weather, bad weather on Wednesday, and then La Tech and UTSA decided to play a very slow, very long extra inning game. That La Tech ultimately won seven to six, which was a very significant win for the Bulldogs. And then there was that. That wrapped up at like I don't know, like eleven thirty local. And there was still a whole nother game to play (laughs) So Southern Miss and Western Kentucky started at, I believe it was 1215 local time there in, in, uh, in Ruston. And uh, it was tidy. Hunter Stanley pitched really well. So they, they got that one done quickly. And I think they even run ruled it. So they got out of there an inning early, but it was, uh, it's, uh, it's a very late night, early morning situation there for, for the Hilltoppers and, and Golden Eagles.
1: Yeah, it was, um, it was kind of a wild scene. I was back in my hotel, you and I were, were sending Slack messages back and forth at the end of that, that law tech game. And you know, they, they were talking on the broadcast about how, you know, they were gonna, you know, discuss kind of the idea of pushing the game to the next day with the coaches, you know, after the game was over and have that discussion and it just, you know, it just seems like there's, and this is true, like you're just stuck between such a rock and a hard place in that moment. Cause you can move the game to another day, but then that really goofs up your schedule especially when you're trying to get four games in in a day. Uh, but the alternative is what we got, which was, you know, the game ending. at I think I saw 2.59 local time for that last game, even though it was tidy. You're right. It was eight innings and, and it was relatively snappy. But ending it ending at almost 3 a.m. Is, is not exactly an ideal situation, especially for the team that, you know, in this case, Western Kentucky that lost and has to come back in the, you know, not in the morning at least, but but
0: in the, you know, in the, the early afternoon to play again today. Yeah, it's uh it's a rough scene out there. <laughs> There's there're no no good answers in these these uh four four game a day tournaments especially if they're playing true double elimination like they do in conference USA. There's very little wiggle room in the schedule, but we're we're going to probably get to some of this uh tournament uh bracket format talk here in a later in the show. So we'll uh, we'll save our thoughts on that for now. Uh but Joe, let's let's talk for a moment about the NCAA tournament construction. And one of the things that everyone's always always top of mind this time of year is top eight seeds. Is my team going to be a top eight seed? What do we have to do to to become a top eight seed? And and this year, it feels like Joe that the answer is if you're not a top eight seed right now in projections, you might not be, because It feels like it's pretty locked in when you're talking about Arkansas, Vanderbilt, uh, Tennessee, and Mississippi State from the SEC, Texas and Texas Tech from the Big 12, Arizona as Pac 12 champs, Notre Dame as ACC regular season winners. Those kind of seem like they're going to be the eight. Um, You know, the other contenders are ECU, well, ECU is already in the loser's bracket of the American conference tournament. And, um, you know, I know their loss will definitely end their chances and they're already not amazing. Their RPI has slipped to 12. Uh, TCU, which still has a top eight RPI, but has played abysmally this month. And while they did beat Kansas state in their first game, they uh, had to effort really hard to do it. And if, TCU were to go out and win the Big 12 tournament, I think that they can go in and and take one of those top eight spots, but I don't feel great about their chances of of doing so, just given the way that they've been playing. And then Stanford is a little hard to get a read on. Obviously, the Pac-12 has no tournament, um, but they they could very well finish second in the Pac-12 ahead of Oregon after beating Oregon last weekend. They closed this weekend against Oregon State, a series win there. Uh, combined with a 12, a second-place Pac-12 finish, and maybe the Cardinal uh, can get in the mix, and maybe Florida or Ole Miss can still get in the mix if they win the SEC tournament. Ole Miss is not going to win the SEC tournament coming out of the loser's bracket with that pitching situation as they go into the weekend. But you know, Florida has gone off to a 2-0 start, so you know we'll see where that takes them. But, Joe, uh, to me, these top eight seeds, as they are now, I mean, they, we can talk about their order but like it 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 probably is the way it is
1: yeah I would tend to agree and and to your point I think any movement that we would see would not come from one of those eight seeds falling it would probably come from someone in the 9 to 16 doing something this week extraordinary and and yeah you gotta come get it exactly yeah the, the teams that are there are probably there regardless at this point it's going to have to be earned by somebody outside of that group and that's still on the table but again to your point i mean they the teams that are kind of in that mix have not necessarily had the starts to this week that they would have wanted to have in order to announce that that was something they were going to do so i'm with you i think it feels fairly locked in there at the top Um, you know and uh it has felt a little like that for a while now with a good number of these teams, but lately, with with you know Texas Tech kind of solidifying itself, um, you know Mississippi State steadying itself and really going getting back to being as consistent as, as just about anybody in the conference outside of Arkansas, like all of that stuff happening over the last few weeks, I feel really kind of cemented the rest of that top eight. Whereas before, you know, there were a few teams you could kind of set your watch to, but we were still looking to fill out the the, the top eight there, and, and now we've and now we've done so. So. Um, you know, now, now it, it really is kind of a philosophical thing for some of these teams, because, you know, if you're a, and if you're, if you're a team like a Tennessee, for example, like winning the SEC tournament might be a big deal for that program, a program that's still trying to get back to being among the elite in the SEC with consistency. So maybe that matters quite a bit, but the, for the rest of the teams, it is kind of a good question of how much do you push this week, given that the position you're in um, versus being, you know, in your best possible physical state for regionals next weekend
0: yeah and that will uh will lead to a interesting situation tonight on thursday night so if you're listening to this on friday go find out i'll read about it at baseballamerica.com you can read about this game uh but arkansas is playing vanderbilt tonight and you know i David and horn last night did not want to name starting pitcher. They played first. They didn't know who they were going to play. They're going to play the winner of Ole Miss and, and Vanderbilt. They knew that, but he didn't name a starting pitcher last night. Said it would depend on who they were playing. They of course have not played Vanderbilt yet this season. And a lot of us are kind of tipping that as like, wouldn't that be a great world series finals? And like they should play in Omaha and all the rest of that. Well, do you at this point Throw a Wicklander or not throw Wicklander? Do you throw cops? Do you not throw cops tonight? Uh to keep Vanderbilt from getting a look at him versus going out and trying to win the SEC tournament. Arkansas has never won the SEC tournament, uh, but they, you know, they already have their trophy from the SEC this season. Um, you know, they're locked into the number one seed, it sure seems like. So it, you know, there's just not a whole lot to be played for there unless they just decide that they really want to add to their trophy case and they have to weigh that versus adding, adding this trophy and and how that affects their pursuit of the trophy that, that matters the most. So that's going to be going to be an interesting one. And, and, you know, Tennessee and and Mississippi state already being on the losers bracket there is, uh, you know, makes it all the more challenging for them. I, I don't know how, how things are going to play out in the sec, but, you know, just with Florida already being, being in the winner's bracket, they play Alabama today, Alabama really wants this game uh, in terms of bubble positioning. So it's not like that's an easy game for Florida, but uh, Florida might, might end up being a little more motivated than, uh, than, than the, the Vanderbilt and, and Arkansas half of the bracket. So that, that makes, it makes it interesting here as uh, as they try and settle some things in hoover yeah i mean put me down for you know if you're going to be cagey like i think
1: that's a i think that is a moment to be cagey if you're arkansas you don't have really anything to i mean you have a trophy to gain i don't want to downplay that but you don't have really have much to gain or lose you know um so if you have a little bit of what you think might be a perceived edge if you don't give them a look at your best arms then i would say um you know go out there and, and try to get it done without them um you know save that save those bullets, metaphorically speaking there, um, you know, most of the time I think that a lot of that talk is kind of like, eh, you know, how much does it really matter, but you know what, if there's not really much to lose here, then, then I, you know, I think this is a moment to do it, it doesn't mean you can't use those pitchers tomorrow, you know, it's not because like, I understand that you don't want them to maybe go so long without throwing, that doesn't mean you can't use them in another spot, so um, that that would, like I said, if you're going to be cagey, I think this is kind of the moment to, to be that.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't know. I don't know how much in an era of how, all the video scouting that gets done, how, how much not, how much benefit it would be for Vanderbilt to see Wicklander or Cops, or for Arkansas to see Kamar Rocker, uh, you know, for one game and then play them again in Omaha. Uh, It would probably be of some benefit, but I I do think that probably with the amount of video scouting that gets done now, it's less of an issue. Uh, But yeah, any, I, I, I think you're right though. Like there's not a whole lot to be lost here and potentially something to be gained. So yeah, I mean, just hold, if if you want to hold Wicklander and cops back until tomorrow's uh, game or Saturday, if they win today, uh, they don't play on Friday. Um, so if you beat Vanderbilt, you know, the, 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 trouble, I guess at that point would be that if you beat Vanderbilt today, there's a chance you see Vanderbilt again, um, uh, later. So you, you gotta, you gotta decide how, how that all shakes out in the bracket, but I, I would certainly understand it if, if Arkansas or Vanderbilt, um, made, made that decision, um, to, to hold, hold back. Uh, I, I, kind of hope they do actually i i I really want to just see this thing play out in Omaha. i don't i don't need it playing out in hoover when you can always question motivations and stakes and all the rest of that like let's let's just wait and play this for real uh uh, when, when the most is on the line all right let's uh let's move on here to to the NCAA tournament bubble, a lot going on there this week, of course, as as teams try to play themselves into the field of 64 and solidify those at large bids. So we'll get into that here in a second, but first check this out. All right, Joe, let's get into the bubble. We've talked all season about how this is a soft NCAA tournament bubble. Um, There are a lot of reasons for that. Some of it's the, you know, the, the, the wonky schedules, some of it's, you know, just some down years, whatever the case we've arrived in the final week, the bubble is still very soft, uh, but it is, it is starting to uh, starting to take, take more shape. A uh, couple of results in the ACC tournament have kind of helped shape that, uh, you know, Duke has started very well there in Charlotte, uh, continuing their hot streak and they're looking good. Uh, you know, Clemson and Virginia Tech had quiet exits to the ACC tournament, and, and that that wraps up their seasons for them. We'll get into Clemson here a little more in a second. Um, in the SEC tournament, Alabama and Georgia uh, have gone wins that that have been important. LSU lost; they're uh, they're a very interesting bubble case now, as their week is over and uh, they're they're just in in wait and see mode. Uh, Oklahoma and Baylor have gone off to poor starts in the big 12 tournament. They need to turn it around quickly. If they have any hope of playing in the NCAA tournament. Uh you know, so that's the, the, the bubble has been difficult to suss out. Some new teams have arrived. Um, Long beach state is, has quietly played itself into uh into a position where it might be uh, in the NCAA tournament. They, of course, playing in the Big West, mostly they played a conference only schedule, except that I think they lost a series to COVID. And so they were able to squeeze a, a series against Pacific into their mix. But basically it's been a big west only schedule. And they're playing very well against the Big West. And they finish against a bad UC Davis this weekend and have a chance to to really run their their conference record up there. So um, you know, good things happening for the dirtbags. That's something to watch. And we'll see what Iowa does this weekend. They need they need something at Michigan state to, to get into the field too, I think. Um, so Joe, what, what, what have you made of, of this, uh, this strange bubble situation? I think
1: one of the things that's really interesting to me, maybe you, maybe you disagree. I don't know. Um, but it it seems to me, and we've talked about this phenomenon last week that there are so many ACC and SEC teams that have been on the bubble. This year, it seems like a larger than a larger than usual number of teams in those two conferences sitting around the bubble. We've created so many knockout situations um, in, in those tournaments. You know, a team like Alabama that was like really like, I guess, on the periphery of the bubble going into the SEC tournament, but clearly was like if they lose a game, they're obviously clearly done. But now they've played their way back on. You know, Duke was on the bubble. Now, as they've played their way on the on the, the good side of off of the bubble. But we've got situations like that, you know, of course, we'll see what happens with Louisville and LSU beat Georgia. And so, you know, we've got those kinds of situations happening all over the place that it strikes me that it hasn't felt like there's a whole lot of room for a team like, you know, I'm here at the Valley tournament. I think about a team like Indiana State, like they, I mean, they have a decent game tonight against SIU tonight, Thursday. But for the most part, you know, okay, if they beat Dallas Baptist, that's maybe a little bit of a a win that helps them. But it's hard for them to short of winning the thing. Obviously, it's hard for them to do a lot to help themselves from that standpoint. When you've got these major conference teams that kind of are playing each other constantly or constantly having those opportunities. And it it does feel a little bit like um, and this is the way it is. This is not a lament. This is just an observation that teams that are a little bit ascendant, like, like SIU, like Long Beach State, even though Long Beach State has, we've we've now taken notice, it does feel like those teams maybe are in a position to get elbowed out a little bit more so than normal. It just maybe there's not as much of an opportunity for those types of teams to help themselves this year, because there are so many opportunities for these major conference teams to play against like teams that are also on the bubble.
0: I mean, I think that's just the nature of college athletics, not just college baseball, but college athletics and, uh, 2021. Um, but it is, it is pretty noticeable this year when you have like Georgia and LSU going head to head in a game that has play in like written all over it. Uh, meanwhile, Indiana state has to toil against, you know, good, but not like that level of competition, uh, over there in the Valley. And, you know, you have like the entire SOCON field They've four teams in the SOCON tournament this year. They're all in like the top. Uh, Western Carolina just dropped a spot last night. They're all in the top 76 of RPI. So like that is a situation where somebody is really going to help themselves this weekend, but uh, it also is just not going to have the same kind of, of resonance that that's happening elsewhere. And I also think working against some of that is the fact that the big 10 Not having a tournament is eliminating some of the kind of periphery bubble potential in in that league and Conference USA being as settled as it is and and the American being what looks to be a one bid league, although becoming a two bid league if ECU can't figure it out uh, and the Sun Belt being as bad as it's been like the, the places where we would go to. For the the mid major bubble teams just have not been as good this season, and so I think a combination of all of the ACC teams being five hundred, and these traditional mid major multi bid leagues, with the exception of CUSA not showing up this year, I, I think that has led led us to this this path.
1: Yeah, I mean the other thing that has been interesting has been those we have this phenomenon every year, but. You know, I think this year there's been a couple of big examples with, with Long Beach and and with Southern Illinois, one that you and I talked about offline. And actually, funny enough, to the extent that RPI matters, they are back-to-back in RPI right now, 69 and 70. Um, you know, th- those those are always interesting to me because there are certain teams that you kind of put away for a while. Like, I mean, you know this, like there are certain teams that just in your mind, you just kind of like set them aside and you're like, okay, this team's not you know, it'll wake me up whenever this team is is doing something that that feels worthy of being in this discussion. And then sometimes it's hard to like really circle back on that. And, you know, SIU is an interesting team to watch here where their case is largely dependent on what other teams do. You mentioned the SOCON tournament and they swept Mercer earlier this year in the middle of that super hot streak that SIU had, where they were looking like a team that, you know, might rip off a, a Fairfield-like run. And that didn't, happen that way. They finished 15 and 13 in the Missouri Valley, but that's a Mercer team that's just outside the top 50. And when you combine it with the fact that they have a series win against Indiana State, which is a top 50 RPI, they split with Dallas Baptist in four games, that's top 50 RPI. Um, That's a pretty compelling resume. And, you know, with the, obviously it's a moving target, but if they win that game against Indiana State tonight, suddenly that's a team that's like in the top 60 in RPI. And that becomes a really, really interesting postseason resume and one that like I don't know a week ago like I had not even for a single second considered they also by the way if they get that win they'll have 40 wins overall and we know in the past 40 has been a little something of a magic number we've seen teams a uh, St. John's comes to mind a St. John's team that didn't necessarily have a lot going for it on paper um, was had a decent RPI and then 40 wins and that kind of put them over the top and so you know you you, you, you start to look at that that Resume and, and you know in the year when you talk about the bubble being as soft as it is like there's a lot to like there and in a way that I did not anticipate liking a lot about what they had to offer.
0: I, I think that's fair. The other thing that is notable in uh, in this bubble discussion is that you have East Carolina in the losers bracket. Like I said in in the American tournament, that becomes a two bid league again. Uh, that that's going to hurt somebody because Wichita and Tulane have both played their way out in, uh, in recent weeks. We talked about that with Tulane, uh, I believe on Monday, I, th- I think we touched on that and Wichita has really backed up as well. And, you know, so no one else from that conference is in a large position, but if you see, you can't come out of the winner's bracket, somebody's going to get that bid. So that's uh that's a situation to watch. And then to the, the other big one, Big news from yesterday in Bubbleland was that Fairfield got upset by Canisius in the uh, Metro Atlantic tournament, the first round of, of their or the, the first game of their championship round. They played quarterfinals last week and are now playing a uh, double elimination four team tournament to to finish it out at Fairfield. So Fairfield loses just its second game of the season. They lose four to one and Fairfield, of course, we've talked about it before they ran off, you know, that huge winning streak to start the season. They've been one of the top teams in terms of RPI all season long, once they got going really. And they, uh, as a result, have this like really funky resume. And right now they're sitting at, uh, 35-2, 35-2, and two, number three in the RPI. Their RPI barely moved despite that loss yesterday. They dropped one spot, ultimately. For a while, they were number four, and then Texas lost. So they they dropped all of one spot for losing to Canisius. They're in the loser's bracket. They're at home. If there's any team in the country that can win a conference tournament from the loser's bracket, it is Fairfield. They're playing at home. They have they they dominated that league all season long but they are also one just one loss from being out now and we've really struggled to to grapple with what Fairfield is this season what their resume is playing conference only dominating a conference that is not typically a very good conference at all what do you make of all of that and it had just been kind of a like, I've always known that we might get to this point where we have to determine, like, OK, are they in or are they out as an at-large team? But I was hoping that we would avoid it. I still am hoping that uh, because it gets messy in a hurry. Uh, before we get into why it gets so messy, Joe, uh, just what, what did you make of, uh, of, of Canisius going on the road and, and getting one of the biggest upsets of the week?
1: You know, I kind of had a little bit of a feeling in my gut about this one. I was talking in the press box with somebody yesterday here at the Valley. They were asking me about it. And I said, you know, Fairfield had kind of been playing with fire. Like they they came out so hot in the, in the Metro Atlantic. They were really, and they were really dominating teams is the point I'm making. And then later in Metro Atlantic play, like I I get that you just, you can't keep up that level of intensity all season, even in a shortened season. So you're going to have slip ups. And the fact that they didn't have more slip ups and take more losses is incredible but they had, had some scares and they even had some scares last weekend against Manhattan. They swept that series, but you know, they, they, you know, got really pushed by the Jaspers, which were not a good team this year. And so I, I think they had been playing with fire a little bit in a a way that maybe didn't go noticed. And so I'm not too surprised they got got here, at least in, in one game, but, but you're right that if any team is, is really set up to do that, it's, it's them. I mean, they have the pitching depth to do it and Obviously the belief to do it and perhaps taking this kind of loss is, is is what they need. But I was not, I was definitely not gobsmacked by the fact that they, they took on a loss here because it just it, it felt like there was a little bit of inevitability based on the way they had been playing coming into the
0: week. Okay, so now let's let's work through some some of this fairfield situation if they do need the at large bid. I wrote about this at baseballamerica.com last night. And my views on this have evolved probably just over the last couple of weeks. They, you know, we can we can sit here and say RPI doesn't work for a team for a conference, playing conference-only games. The MAAC is a closed system. RPI is not built for that. It is built to measure teams, to compare teams across regions, across conferences. To do that, it needs inner region and inner conference data. If you deprive it of that data, it cannot work properly. It cannot work as it is designed to work. So that number three RPI next to Fairfield's name should come with like 25 asterisks. They just, it, it can't do what it's being asked to do. Now that being said, the committee has, the selection committee has never come away from, never said this year that they are going to treat RPI all that differently. Uh, they were given an opportunity in the fall to work through changes to the formula for this year. They declined to do so. They believed that RPI was was going to be fine. Well, here we are, it's not fine. But they, you know, Fairfield is going to be in the top 10 in RPI on selection Monday. There is no way for them not to be right now. And so to if they take that that second loss here, They get knocked out of the tournament. They're going to be looking at, at absolute worst, a 35-3 and record and a top 10 RPI. I mean, it's just going to be hard to not put a team like that in the field. I don't know whether I think they should or shouldn't be. I mean, I just know that those two data points are going to be very compelling. Also, that they dominated... The, the league they won the regular season title all the rest th- those are all good things in their favor what's working against them is going to be just whatever the regional advisory committee says but i still would kind of expect the stags to be rated relatively well in uh in such a an evaluation so that's that's one end of it and joe before i complicate it just what do you think about about everything that, that 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 would present to the committee
1: It's so we, we've never had it we never had a case like it i mean that goes without saying i guess but there's just it, it's worth repeating that we've just never had to grapple with a case like this we've had examples of teams that have dominated regular seasons i mean how many bethune cookman teams 10 years ago you know just absolutely laid waste to the MIAC and run defeated in conference in the conference play and they always won the automatic bids it was fine but those teams, we, we would have never been having this discussion. Um, and so the fact that the schedule has set up this way and the fact that let's not downplay to your point, the fact that that RPI is just is, is where it is. It's just right. You know, it's 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 hanging out in the top 10 and is going to hang out in the top 10 all season. Has added a layer to this that, that was not there with Bethune-Cookman or Alabama State from whatever it was five years ago, what have you that is adding a layer of complication to it. I'm of the, the, I am of the opinion that uh, this is a philosophical thing. I mean, there are reasonable people can disagree here and this probably will not be a surprising take for me, but I'm just kind of of the opinion that I would have back in 2008 or whatever, like I would have wanted Bethune Cookman in the field if they didn't win the auto bid and they just, you know, you know, basically, uh, stumbled in the conference tournament. I, and I I want Fairfield in this field if they don't win the Metro Atlantic tournament. And, you know, at the risk of, of getting a step ahead of you here, like, you know, Jackson State's in a similar place. But I think that's what, to me, what this NCAA tournament field should be about. And I guess the counter argument is, hey, well, then don't play a conference tournament. Um, and that's fair. Uh, certainly, I, I, would, I would hear that. Um, but I just think that these are the types of teams in these types of seasons, I want these types of teams and, and seasons Celebrated, and you know, I don't know that they will in every case, and actually, I know they won't in every case. Um, But Fairfield is a unique one, whether it's fair or not. Uh, I think that's a team that's going to get consideration. If you, if I were a betting man, I'd say if they get eliminated in the MAC tournament, I think they are going to be in. If you were, if I were a betting man, that would be the bet I would make. And I, you know, whether that's fair or not, I don't know. Whether that's good for the future, to the extent that matters, of the tournament selection committee, because that is an interesting precedent to set. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to really suss that out and and really predict the future on that. But I would advocate for them being in. And I think, again, if I were a betting man, I think that's the direction it goes.
0: All right. So let's add another layer of complication to this. Fairfield, 33 and one in the regular season in the Metro. They played no non conference games. Their RPI is number three. Jackson State, 24 and 0 in. The SWAC in the regular season. They get got in the SWAC tournament championship game. They finish the season 33 and nine. So they did play conference non conference games and they go, or you have to scroll all the way down to find them in RPI at number 121. That really is through no fault of their own. Their non conference strength of schedule is 11. They played teams like Mercer. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, their non-conference RPI is 79. Like, again, this is really no fault of their own that they are where they are. But they are where they are because they play in a conference with a bunch of teams that played very poorly in non-conference competition. Um, and that has brought down everyone's RPI, including Jackson State's, in that week. So here we have... Potentially, if Fairfield takes another loss, you have two teams that dominated their conferences in the regular season. Fairfield taking just one loss, Jackson State going undefeated. The difference being just that Jackson State happened to play in a conference that said, yes, you can play non-conference games this year, and Fairfield played in a conference that said, no, we're going conference only. No judgment on either of those decisions from, from me here. I'm not not trying to, I'm trying to say like, The Metro really screwed up and they should have played non-conference games or whatever. But what I am here to say is that if you do not treat, if the selection committee does not treat Fairfield and Jackson State the same, what you are saying effectively is that the SWAC should have not played a conference tournament. If Fairfield is in, Jackson State is out, not not, not a conference tournament, the SWAC should have played no non-conference games. That's what you're saying if you're saying Fairfield is in, but Jackson State is out. And to me, that's a massive problem because, A, that's not in Jackson State's control. It's not in Fairfield's control either that they didn't play non-conference games. It's not a situation like uh, we saw in some places around the country, Hartford, Long Beach State, uh, Cal State, Northridge, where the school decided no non-conference games. Um I mean, and those are happening at administrative levels. Those aren't happening at coach levels even. But, like, it's not even that situation. This was a conference-wide decision and that the Jackson State and Fairfield could not control. And so you, you have two teams that dominate conferences that are typically among the three to five worst conferences in the country. We know that. We know what the historical trends in these conferences are. Ordinarily, neither one of them would be sniffing the NCAA tournament. But if you're going to consider Fairfield, I don't see how you can't also consider Jackson State RPI 121 or not, because if you're going to put Fairfield in and not Jackson State, all you're saying is, sorry, Jackson State, you shouldn't have played those non-conference games. And at that point, why does any bottom five conference ever play a non-conference schedule again?
1: Yeah, I certainly can't. I can't put it any better than that, because I think you and I are in in lockstep on that. I think we're coming at it from a little bit different um, from a different priors and for different reasons. But I think you and I agree on that point. You know, I come at it just from the point of like, I just let these, you know, let these small conference teams in like they were undefeated, you know. Um, So I I don't have much to add there because I think you encapsulated really, really well. But I guess I will I will ask, um, you know, sometimes. (laughs) With, with current events and news, we talk about, you know, things being a, whether or not they're a constitutional crisis, you know, like if Fairfield gets in in this scenario, whether the committee means to or not, they are setting what could be a precedent. It doesn't have to be a precedent. It could be a one-off, but they set what could be a precedent and, w- and what, oh, by the way, will be assumed as a precedent by a lot of people. So Would you say if if Fairfield gets in and Jackson State doesn't, um, I mean, would you go so far as to say it creates kind of an NCAA baseball selection committee version of a constitutional crisis here? Because, I mean, I think most people will kind of I think most people will rightly. This is my hunch. will rightly look at it as just like weird year one off. Okay, we're moving on. Um, But I do think there is another subset of people, maybe some of whom are in some of these conferences or are coaches of these teams or administrators who will kind of look at it and go, well, okay, because we know that coaches in particular desperately want getting into the NCAA tournament to become a formula. There are coaches out there who are very good at RPI games. And I, I grant them that, like that's part of the deal you should schedule very smartly. And they do. But the reason why they're doing that is because they want to take out as much uncertainty as they can in their team civil tournament case, as long as their team wins the games necessary to get there. So if you do this, like there are going to be coaches out there. that are like, Oh, okay, well, hmm. you know, how can we, how can we basically do this and minimize our risk? And so that, that's a long way of me turning it back to you and asking you, if you think this again is kind of the, the committee's version of a constitutional crisis with this precedent, they could be setting.
0: You know, I think it's a real problem. If you think that, these teams playing non-conference games is something that you would want to retain in the sport because, you know, I, I don't know that the SWAC would quit uh, playing non-conference games over this. I I think that, you know, there are reason, you know, they're in a part of the country where, you know, you can give your players an opportunity to play in Swayze field, duty, Noble, Bluebell park, um, Alex box stadium. And, You know, given those opportunities, I think you're going to want to, you're going to want to keep trying to take them, but you know, if you're the MAAC, if you're the Northeast conference and every year you spend thousands and thousands of dollars sending your teams on the road for the first month, six weeks, whatever it is of the season, why are you, why, why mess around with that anymore? If, if this is how it's going to be like, you can get in the tournament and do all of this? Like, why not just expand your conference schedule? Like the MAAC did this year and just have at it, you know, like what are you really losing at that point by not playing each other? Um, you know, I, you're losing something. I don't want to minimize that, but like, well, what are you really losing? If if you can game the RPI system to get to the point where there are four MAAC teams, all four teams that are playing this weekend in the MAAC tournament are in the top hundred of RPI, like why? If if you're there, why why mess around? And you know, I, I would guess that if that happened, if this became a permanent thing, then the committee uh, would be forced to address the RPI issue. Uh, but at least in the short term, until they did that, I don't know why you would. I, like I I don't I don't see the point of if you're if you're the uh, if you're the NEC if you're the MAAC to to mess around with that. Uh, So yeah, I I do think it would be. And look, I'm not here to say that Fairfield and Jackson State both need to be in this tournament. if, If again, if Fairfield takes one or lost this weekend, you can say neither one of them get in, and I would probably be okay with that because if you stack up the 34 best teams in the out large pool, just based on not on resume but on like talent or i test or whatever you're probably not including either one of those teams but that's not necessarily what the tournament field is about constructing if it were about that we would put in 12 to 14 sec and acc teams on an annual basis so you know it's a it's a really difficult needle to thread here there is no good solution for the committee short of fairfield winning the tournament. Uh, because otherwise, you're if you if you group Fairfield and Jackson State, on some level, you're saying RPI does not matter because their RPIs are 120 spots apart, basically. So you're saying RPI doesn't matter which shouldn't be a controversial take this year, but it does add complications to the rest of the field creation. If you, in this case, say, well, you know, we took Jackson State at 121. Sorry, guys, like we're not we're not considering you. But like we did take this sub 100 RPI team um, or like at the other end of that, like, yeah, we didn't take a team in the top 10 in RPI. Like what's your point? here?" <laughs> like those are those are challenging uh, decisions to make. Or if you separate them and say yes to Fairfield, no to Jackson State, again you're creating this this incentive for teams to in the teams and conferences in the future to say no non-conference, we don't need it. Like we're going to play, we're going to play conference only, and we're going to we're going to you know get the computer numbers as good as we can get them.
1: You know, I uh, I think the one thing we can we can all understand to be true is that there are no bigger Fairfield fans on this earth this week than the selection committee. Cause if they get in like, okay, then, then there actually is a real debate about where you seed them, but really that's, I mean, I think even people that don't that's think small that,
0: potatoes. Exactly. Yeah,
1: <laughs> for sure. Yeah. They're not creating any uh, crises about, about or philosophical debates about what the tournament should be if they put them as a two or whatever. So um, they, yeah, they, they certainly are hoping that Fairfield does not leave it in their hands when it's all said and done.
0: Yeah. And I think it'd be really easy to just put them as a three seed and say like, ah, look at the RPI and the, like what they did, you know, dominating this league, like ah, three seed, like, okay, there have to be three seeds like that every year. Like Northeastern is one of the teams that like Fairfield would be in contention for. And like, they also played a really wonky schedule. Like they didn't go South hardly at all. Like, yeah, they played some non-conference games, but you know, it's uh, it's, they also didn't play the Southern half of their conference at all because the CAA split North and South. So like, what do you make of that? Like, I don't know. So like I, at that point, like I I think you just put Fairfield on the three line and just say, eh. but like anything, if, if they don't win this, this, uh, this MAAC tournament, it's uh, it's going to get complicated in re. All right. So after that Fairfield Jackson state deep dive, Joe Um, let's uh, let's uh, uh, flip over to uh, another mid-major conference on the other side of the country and that's the west coast conference and they are not playing a tournament this year uh but they have they they have found themselves in a a very interesting situation this weekend with gonzaga which is in the top 25 in that uh short list on that short list of potential host sites they're trying to finish off a west coast conference title this weekend against san diego which is number two in the conference standings and potentially in the at-large conversation themselves, although they have a poor RPI, uh, you know, also they, they, they have some work to do. But if they were to beat Gonzaga this weekend, it would be uh, it would be a big deal for USD.
1: Yeah, it's it feels like a little bit, of, you know, in some ways, I guess maybe it's. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know the right word, but in some ways, I guess it's it's kind of nice for San Diego. Like, obviously, they'd love to be in a better position because their resume is their RPI actually is fairly high considering how relatively empty their resume is. And so, I mean, like literally zero top fifty games, not even wins, games. Um, so considering that like a top 90 RPI is like, oh, that's actually not bad. And they're in position where if they win this series, like they are probably going to be at least forced themselves into the discussion. So San Diego has to feel pretty good about that. All things considered. Um, you know, they, I, I thought when this series got put back on the schedule, because this was a, a, originally a postponed series from earlier this season. And at the time this series, you and I on the podcast had actually previewed this series before it got canceled that week. So, um, that's how kind of a late of a decision it was there. And and we, you know, it was disappointing because at the time it looked like an absolute banger of a series, you know, San Diego's RPI was up in the thirties or forties and Gonzaga was right there. And, um, they were both, I think 14 and four in the league at the time, or so they were tied at the top or virtually tied, whatever. Um, and it has fallen off a little bit, um, because San Diego has, has tailed off a little bit here. Um, but at the time I thought Gonzaga, was really the one motivating putting that series back on the schedule because it was clear they were building maybe something greater than just an at large case, maybe a hosting case. And I guess that's still true like they are on the outside looking in of hosting right now so putting anything else on the resume. would be helpful if they sweep it and they really kind of come out of dominating the WCC like that is a feather in their cap the RPI would theoretically be helped a little bit certainly would be hurt. That would be something, but I think now it's shifted to where san diego obviously really needs it now i, I did not anticipate how much they would end up needing it because at the time i didn't realize how much their their numbers were going to sag so the you know i i don't have a ton of confidence based on the way san diego's played they're going to be in this series um given especially what gonzaga has to play for in this instance but they absolutely needed it. it it's a last stand situation for san diego it's now or never and that puts a lot of pressure on the series but on the other hand considering their resume is pretty light as it is, they have to feel pretty good that, Hey, you know, if we win this series. We're, we're probably right back in the mix.
0: Yeah, I would, I would definitely say that. And, you know, Gonzaga, we don't have as projected host right now, but like, they're really close. I just, they're, it's a really hard resume to evaluate. Um, they, uh, you know, their RPI is just ahead of the CUSA teams. Like it's Gonzaga Southern Miss Charlotte and La Tech is, play opens on on Thursday and the resumes probably couldn't be any more disparate outside of the RPIs like Gonzaga just doesn't have the same kind of uh opportunities out in uh in their part of the country that they do in in CUSA countries. so things look very different in terms of like just overall games against top 50 and 100 opponents and you know, dispensation is typically given to teams out west because of that. But at the same time, like I don't know, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. And uh, Gonzaga can uh, can clean that up themselves this weekend with uh, with a, a statement, and perhaps they can push ahead of ahead firmly ahead of those those USA teams. It's uh, the host race at the back end remains very interesting. Old Dominion remains in the in the mix as a traveling one seed and you know th- th- there's just a lot of permutations still in place so gonzaga needs something this weekend san diego needs something this weekend and oh by the way the west coast conference title is still in play here so it, it just makes for a very interesting uh overall series here on the final weekend probably the most interesting one of all because Remember the big 10 is locked up. Nebraska won that last week. Arizona won the pac 12 last week and the big West is not done, but it might as well be UC Irvine needs just one, one win or one loss from UCSB and they win that title. So this is the, uh, this is the one where there's probably the most at play of the, of the conferences that aren't playing uh, tournaments. I guess also in the Mac, you know, central Michigan and ball state are, are, are still duking it out, but um you know, and, and both have at large chances where they don't fall short, particularly Ball State, uh, but the uh, the the at large chances of San Diego are very real, as are the the hosting chances of, of Gonzaga. Yeah, it's
1: I mean, for the conference in the WCC, the best scenario is probably San Diego sweeping the series, getting the auto bid because yeah, Gonzaga would still be an at-large team they obviously would not be hosting
0: i guess it depends on whether you think hosting or getting two teams in would be more significant
1: yeah that's that's a good point yeah i guess i and and, you know we will that's just a philosophical thing that i guess we won't solve here but that that would be an interesting debate but yeah as far as getting number of teams in that's the best scenario but yeah i mean there there is something to hosting you know and having that opportunity so uh yeah certainly uh certainly interesting there I, i hadn't considered that that maybe that would be, but yeah, I don't know either way. But so, I mean, just absolutely series of the year in the WCC and we had to wait a little extra time
0: to get it, but at least we're getting it now. I mean, no one in the WCC has hosted since USD did however long ago, right? Like I, I don't think anyone, I don't remember any of these teams hosting.
1: Yeah, th- I think that's right. And, and part of it is, you know, I think there's been years when maybe Pepperdine would have been in the conversation, but they can't really host or they, they can, I guess, but like they, you know, it's, it's, it's a mark it's against complex. them, right. Yeah. It's, it's a mark against them, their, their home field situation. So there might've been chances where they've definitely, especially when Steve Rodriguez was at the helm, they've definitely had years where they were in the mix. Uh, I don't know whether that was before or after San Diego is hosted. I'm not sure the timeline there, but that's, that's certainly part of what hamstrings them. there is that for a long time, their premier team in the conference was not one that the, that the committee was, was super excited about having host, which is, a, which is a bummer because like, much about Eddie B Field Stadium in Malibu is incredible. Uh, the actual stadium is not on the list of things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is uh, that is definitely the truth. So that that's uh, that's a series to watch this weekend. Uh, Joe, let's uh, let's chase down a couple storylines from the week in in conference tournaments. Uh, one is that Tim Oko is continuing to be superhuman. He tore his ACL, if you recall, a couple, I don't know, six weeks ago now. And he's back. He's hitting home runs. He homered twice in Ole Miss's loss against Vanderbilt on Wednesday night. He has just been phenomenal and is doing it in, like, I don't, I it's I, I I really struggle to to come up with comparisons. I saw somebody, I think it was Nick Suss, like may, but maybe it wasn't, uh, tweet like a Kirk Gibson photo next to a Tim Oko photo. And like short of that, like I, I struggle to come up with a comparison, but like Kirk Gibson was doing it just for like a week in the World Series. Uh Tim Oko has now been at this for a few weeks and is hoping to continue for another like month playing on this this uh, one knee situation is as Ole as DH. Like I have to imagine what they've gotten from Tim Elko
1: has, has to have been like several standard deviations better than what they expected, because, you know, it, it still has mostly just been now he's, he's gotten some like multiple at-bat games and he's running a, a little bit. It's not, you know, he's not out there going first to third on singles, but like he's moving a little bit and, you know, early on in this experiment and that's very much what it was, you know, it was very much like he's going to get one swing, basically. And if he doesn't hit it out of the park, it's he's going to be out, essentially. And like, so it was just, the
0: Kirk Gibson experience.
1: Yes. So two things, two things there. One is he has done plenty of hitting it out of the park. So like that part has been true. But also like, you know, like I said, he he's running a little bit and he, you know, had a, sing, a sharp single last night. So I just I've been amazed. I'm mean, superhuman is the exact right way to put it. I've just been amazed at at what he's been able to do, uh, you know, and not crumple onto the ground in in a heap every time he tries to take off. And I, and and I understand with a torn ACL, it's more about cutting and not about straight line running. I I get it. Um, but still, um, to not lose your balance running a little bit, you know, and and kind of hurting yourself worse is is pretty impressive. And I, I wrote, um, I forget where, what I was writing. Maybe it was in a top 25 capsule or something like that, but that, you know, Elko at this stage, is not going to be the type of hitter that can carry an offense. But like, maybe I was wrong. I don't know. Like if you hit two home runs against Vanderbilt, like that's pretty much carrying your offense. And you know, it wasn't enough on that day, but my goodness, like I, I might be wrong about that, but I was just kind of assuming that we'd be going one at bat at a time here.
0: Yeah. I, when he had the injury and they said like, "Ah, he might not be done for the year. He's going to try and come back. I was like, okay. But like, really though, And he came back faster than I would have even anticipated him trying to come back. And he's come back far better than anyone could have reasonably expected. Uh, Definitely myself included on that. And it's, it's been, it's been so impressive to, to watch how that has unfolded. And, um, you know, I, I can't imagine the pain he's playing through and all the rest of it, but like just what he's providing to, to that lineup right now is, is massive. And, uh, you know, also just the emotional and psychological lift for that team to to see a guy who has played so many games in that program, who clearly is very well liked and, and very well respected to see him be able to contribute. I, I just imagine in a locker room setting that that has to mean a lot to, uh, to the Rebs. All right. The other story from conference tournaments so far that I want to touch on, Joe, is Clemson. Clemson is out. Their their season is done in the ACC tournament. Uh, It has been a disappointing season for Clemson overall. While we did not project them, or we didn't have them in the preseason top twenty-five, you know, there's still Clemson. You still expect them to uh, to produce something um, of a of a good season. They're, They're just one of the more consistent programs around the country that did not quite come to pass this season for variety of reasons, uh, including the ACC scheduling format, but ultimately they finished the season 25 and 27, and they are under 500 for the first time since 1957. Uh, that really snuck up on me that Clemson, like that was on the table for Clemson because not that long ago, they were sweeping Louisville and, uh, you know, things looked up, things were looking up for, for the Tigers. Um, but, but things have really backed up in the few weeks since then they're out of the tournament race. They're, they're done. And, uh, they had, they had a season, they had one of the worst seasons in, uh, you know, in program history ultimately, which is, you know, kind of crazy that this is where they're at. But if, if you've, if you haven't been under 500 since 1957, I I don't know what else to, to call this season other than, you know, a significant disappointment.
1: No, I think I think that's right and I think the best way to put it is it was just the team just never found consistency at various points of the season and you mentioned sweeping Louisville and of course you know now Louisville is in a pretty precarious place but you know there were there were various points of the season when it was like yeah Clemson's in and it felt pretty secure um, and then the other points like now for example like they're clearly out but that this hasn't been the only time uh, now it's officially official but there have been plenty of other times where we thought like yes I don't think this is going to be a postseason team. And it was just constant up and down and up and down. And, you know, there were, there were, I mean, you could, and the thing about it is it's not even like, I think the most uh, troubling is not the right word, but like the, the thing that I think um, probably makes it most clear as to why that was, is that it's hard to just kind of point to one thing with Clemson this year that a went really right. And B went really wrong. Frankly, it's not like this is a team that was just really ravaged by injuries. It's not like it was necessarily a team that, um, you know, had lost a lot of of talent off the previous team. And therefore we kind of expected a little bit of of rebuilding. Obviously not, not very many teams are looking at that from 2020 to 2021, but it just offensively you had Caden Grice. And I think that's a huge bright spot. You know, he's a, he's a guy you can really kind of build a lineup around and and maybe as he matures, he becomes a little bit more of an impact arm. Certainly has the stuff for that. Uh, So that was good. But then the offense behind him was, was pretty spotty. Pitching staff wise, getting consistent starting pitching was a real problem. Um, you know, they have exactly one starter who started double-digit games, which tells you they were like really mixing and matching, trying to find starters that could they could give them quality. Uh Jeffrey Gilbert was really good out of the bullpen. Uh, but outside of that, you know, on the pitching staff, like what were you really looking at, you know, that that you felt really, really good about? So um just a just a tough year for Clemson. Like it's, it's just hard to point to what this team was really exceptional at. And that's been the case kind of all along and they were kind of overcoming some of that. And ultimately it just wasn't enough.
0: Yeah. It's uh, it was, it was a surprise to see this happen. I think we had them actually, no I know we had them projected as a tournament team coming into the season and Mm. you know, sure. We didn't have them in the top 25, but you know, it's Clemson, you figure they'll be in the mix at some point. And um, you know, I, I, I thought that they had turned a corner at at some point recently. Caden Grice really looked like he had turned it on really well. Uh, I mean, but he's a freshman and sometimes stuff happens. And, you know, it's uh, they they dealt with some injuries early in the year. It wasn't a case where they dealt with a bunch of injuries in the middle of the season, but they were not fully healthy coming into the year. And I don't know how much that played into anything. You know, sometimes if you're denied your normal preseason, takes a really long time to get back up to speed and i don't know how much that played into it but you know ultimately you would expect clemson to to find a way to to finish 500 at least um but they uh especially given the the nature of this acc season and, and the the 12 weekend conference schedule that that wound up not happening and you know it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a longer off season than what they're used to down there and um you know, we'll we'll see where they go from here but i, I like you said having grice around uh, that's a big bright spot and, and i think that there are reasons to believe in Clemson going forward uh, but you know they uh, th- this is not going to be a season they're they're gonna be remembering all right Joe, uh, so let's uh, move on here from the on-field talk here for a second and get to Update on the coaching changes that have happened around the sport. Uh, We mentioned on the Monday podcast that Texas A&M had moved on from Rob Childress after 16 seasons. Uh, Since then, Utah's Bill Kinnenberg announced his retirement after 18 seasons as the Utes head coach. And Rice fired Matt Braga after three seasons as head coach. There have been, several other changes, but those are kind of the the top line changes. At this point, uh, we have gone deep on the Utah job search over at BaseballAmerica.com. By the time you read this, we might have also gone deep on Rice. That's that's in progress. Um, But I think both are interesting searches, interesting jobs right now. Utah is one of the hardest jobs in any major conference in the country. They did win the 2016 Pac-12 title uh, in that very strange season there uh, when when the Pac-12, all the powers kind of cratered at once, Uh, not to downplay what Utah did that season. It was just, it was a strange season on the West Coast. Nobody hosted out West. It was was a weird year. Uh, And then, you know, they they just, it's been a challenge though to compete in the Pac-12. Joe, you noted that they, not only do they not, they only have two seasons of double-digit Pac-12 wins since joining the conference. Most of the time, they're winning like less than eight games in Pac-12 play. Finding a way to get consistently even to, you know, close to five hundred in conference play would be uh, a significant move forward for for the Utes. And then Rice, uh, you know, given the messy situation when they moved on from Wayne Graham a few years ago perhaps that was never going to work out well for whoever the uh the new coach was it certainly didn't work out well for Braga they're moving on from him after 3 seasons two of which are somewhat pandemic marred so i mean that kind of lets you know the deal there but it was uh that was a really tough situation to walk into and you know hopefully for the owls sake they are able to find a little more uh, cohesion, a little more, uh, you know, that they're able to, to bring more groups together there because I I just felt like there was so much conflict internally there about what should be done post Wayne Graham about whether Wayne Graham should have been, you know, whether he should still have been the head coach or, or not, uh, that it, it just doesn't seem like it was a particularly great situation for the program. So it would be, it would be nice to see, a program with the tradition of rice find its footing a little better uh if if they can work if they can all be pulling the rope in the same direction now yeah i mean
1: that's kind of always the case when you you have a legend going out and there's not necessarily and, and it's clear that the legend wants to stick around and the administration wants to move on and there's they're kind of at loggerheads about that and that's kind of always and i don't you know i, I don't know the intimate details of the situation but it was pretty clear that you know, if it wasn't that Wayne Graham still wanted to stick around, it was that maybe Wayne Graham wanted a little more influence in what was happening. And we can argue about how much that should be and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but it is what it is. And there were some extenuating circumstances with Rice thought they had some other candidates lined up and that fell through. And so they end up with, with Braga and it, it, you know, it felt like an odd fit from the start. It's tough to argue with Braga's credentials for what they were, you know, building up Tennessee Tech, a program that, you know, I don't, I don't mean to be Crass about it, but just doesn't have a lot going for it in 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 a lot of ways, and, and to turn them into the most consistent program in the OVC over a pretty significant period of time, and, and getting to getting to a Daggum Super Regional for Tennessee Tech, I mean, geez, that that sentence itself is incredible, and so you can't really argue with that, and I think you know bragging now, you know, I think he he'd still be a good fit at a program that he can build in the same way that he built Tennessee Tech, and so, um, but it just did seem like kind of an odd fit, you know, he he hadn't ever you know, coach in the state of Texas, you, you know, uh, he had never really coached at a private, hadn't at all coached at a private school like rice, uh, you know, highly academic, expensive, all of that kind of stuff. So it, it just was kind of like, felt like a square peg in a, in a round hole. And it is pretty abrupt, but the thing about it is that, you know, rice was actually had a fairly veteran team this year, you know, Braden Como, Bradley Knighting, uh, grad transfer and will Carp. uh, you know, um, they had some players who were juniors, you know, going into senior years like this wasn't like he was playing with a team full of freshmen. I mean, there were some younger guys that had impacts. Guy Garibay, one of them, a two-way player. But um, it kind of felt like a deal where if they keep Braga around, like it wouldn't have really been fair to it felt like they, they, they were in a position where they felt like they need to either cut bait now or you were probably going to need to fairly give him another two or three years because the roster was going to turn over a decent amount after this season. And so would that have really been um, you know, are you are you in a better or worse place if you give them another year? But next year is kind of similar because it's now now it really is a young team. Um, and that's the question I think Rice had to answer. And I think they decided, you know what, we we can't risk it getting any worse. And so we need to cut bait here and try to try to improve the situation. And we'll we'll see if they were they were right or not to to do that. Obviously, we'll we'll just find out based on what the the next guy does. Uh quickly on Utah, I mean, you're right, it's it's kind of incredible to me that, you know, they they had that big 2016 season and then they were pretty decent in 17. Um, But other than that, like it's just been a real struggle to be competitive in the PAC 12. And and if you look at the history of Utah, that's not a huge surprise. I mean, it's not like that was a team that was running the show in the mountain West conference when they, when they moved up, it was a basically a 500 team in the mountain West conference that got thrown into the PAC 12 for reasons that had nothing to do with baseball. Um, So the fact that Kenneberg, had led them to the heights that that he led them to, I think, should be a credit to him. Um, But the trick now with Utah, I don't think anybody's, in in conversations I've had about that job last few days, this has only reaffirmed that, but it's not a job you go into expecting, hey, we're going to become a real player in the Pac-12 year after year. It's about, can we get the valleys in this, the peaks and valleys, if if the valleys cannot be, you know, six and 24 in the Pac-12 and can instead be 11 and 19, um, while still having, while still peaking every three to four years. Um, that's to me what this hire is going to be more about, less about trying to turn it into some kind of power. Not that, not that Utah wouldn't take that, but it doesn't feel like that's a particularly realistic goal. I think this is just kind of more about mitigating how bad do the, the bad years get and trying to keep those from being the types of years where they're just not competitive.
0: If Utah wants to become a power in the Pac-12, like I think, first of all, I think it could be done. You're in Salt Lake City. Um, you know, there, there's there's things to sell about the job. It would be challenging, but I think it could be done. Like, I mean, let's face it, Oregon State is not kind of an, an unchallenging place, and they are one of the Pac-12 powers. Um, but to do so, Utah would have to invest not only in the next coach, but also pretty heavily in everything around the program. This is a, a team that you know, shares a ballpark with the AAA team, but it doesn't really, you know, Duke does that. And it's fine because Duke has a, a great on-field facility that they can practice at. Utah, they, they don't have what Duke has. So they need to, if if Utah were really serious about trying to trying to become a power, they, they need heavy investment. And I'm sure they know that. But if if they just want to be a little more competitive, I think the next coach can do that with, you know, some investment, but, you know, working with some of the things that they have, uh, you know, Kindenberg did a great job bringing them into the conference. Now the next step is to to try and work towards 500 more often than not. And the, the great thing about being in the PAC-12 and why this job is still going to be relatively attractive is because that if you are in 500 in the PAC-12, you are minimally like on the bubble. And, you know, so that that is that is why, you know, some coaches will be very interested in this job, even knowing the challenges that it, that it presents. So I think they can get a pretty solid coach here. Uh, I think Bill Kindenberg was a really solid coach. It's going to be more about then like, OK, what do you do to to build this further and what kind of support are you going to get behind the scenes uh, at Rice? They can go a number of different directions. It's an attractive job. You're seeing what Conference USA is doing this year. That probably only makes things more attractive in Houston. Um, Clearly though, there's, there's some stuff that they have to work out and everyone in Houston probably also needs to understand that it's not 2003 anymore. And I'm not saying that they don't understand that, but it is important as they go through this, that, that that is uh, an understanding that, College baseball has changed. Rice's place in college baseball can still be a very good one. But, uh, you know, what happened in 2003-2004 under Wayne Graham was absolutely special and should be very celebrated, but should not in any way be the standard that that Rice is measured against in 2021.
1: Yeah, I mean, here's a comparison both schools will hate, fans of both schools will hate. You know, we we've talked about how with Nebraska, getting to the heights that Dave Van Horn led them to um, is a tall task that that may never be repeated for reasons that have nothing to do with the program or will bolt or or whoever. Um, But just because of conditions around the sport and the fact that Nebraska is not in the Big 12 anymore. um, Rice feels pretty similar. The conditions have changed a little bit, which is not to say, by the way, Nebraska still can get to Omaha. Rice can still get to Omaha like we see in Conference USA this year, the league can be propped up. But um, but you're right, like it's, it's we're living in a different world now and you know, you have to play, you you have to deal with reality on reality's terms. And, um, so that will be, you're right to say that that will be important for Rice to understand as, as they move forward.
0: Yes. And I, I feel for Braga, I don't think he got a particularly great shake there, but like I said, it's a, uh, it's a challenging situation to, to walk into, um, replacing a legend, especially a legend that has, has left in, in that situation. I, I think he'll, He'll be a good fit again as a head coach somewhere, or as a hitting coach. If he, uh, and he's a great hitting mind. He's he's been a head coach for a really long time now, so I'm I'm sure he can get another job at that if that's what he's looking for. But if he uh, if he wants to be a hitting coach, there uh, places would do well. You know, he he's going to bring a lot of energy, and you know the the numbers, especially at Tennessee Tech, even even if it's an offensive environment. I mean, the numbers were they they, they speak very well for themselves. So. Uh, Happy trails to Bill Kennenberg and and hopefully the uh, the folks that on Braga's staff Braga and, and the folks on his staff can uh, can find good landing spots as well moving forward. Uh, I expect that the coaching changes will only continue to heat up from here, especially early next week, as you know everyone that played in a conference tournament their season finishes. I think you're going to see uh, see some more changes as as we go, and we'll have that all covered for you over at BaseballAmerica.com. In addition to the fact that on Monday, we will have a field of 64, an official, and not just me projecting the field, but the real one from the selection committee. So we'll have with plenty of content involving that over at BaseballAmerica.com. We'll have another edition of the Baseball America College podcast, uh, which you can find on your favorite podcasting apps, be that Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find us and we will come back to you on Monday uh, reacting to the field of 64, probably starting to take a little bit of a, a look at the field and how we think things might play out. And then throughout next week, again, we'll have plenty of, uh, of content previewing the, the NCAA tournament. Until then, though, there's, there's plenty going on over at the website to check out. We have you covered throughout the weekend here leading up to Selection Monday, daily updated projected field of 64 uh, plenty of coverage of what's going on on the bubble and, and beyond in the uh, in the conference tournaments around the country. So check that out. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA, and you can get uh, our our more instant analysis on on some of the the things happening around the country. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. Thank you to Rap Soto for presenting it. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next
1: time. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took 1 click when everyone uses Grammarly everything just makes sense go to grammarly.com/podcast to download it for free that's grammarly.com/podcast easier said done